Well, good morning. Spring is here. It's awesome. And uh, if you haven't signed up for Love Our City, I would encourage you to do that. I've signed up. It's going to be a great opportunity to uh, love the city of Burnaby in the name of Jesus and get to know some others that participate in this uh, church family. We're starting a new series, Parables and Passion. The parables of Jesus, of course, describe the kingdom of God, and at the center of that kingdom is the passion of Jesus. Before we get into today's parable, um, let's hear a contemporary story of scattering some seeds, of sharing the good news. Uh, Jordan, come on back up. Share your story. Earlier this year, uh, God opened a door for me to share my life story with a public high school uh, to some grade nine classes. It all started when I was at my life group and I was sharing my story with them. And one of the young ladies in my group, uh, Talia Zacharias, just so happens to be a teacher at a local high school. And she thought that my story, which involves a past of drug use, partying, unhealthy relationships, was actually a really good fit for the unit that her PE classes were going through. So she asked if I would share with two of her classes. The only problem was it was the very next day. So I had no time to prep, and I was forced to trust God. Isn't that the worst? (laughs) So there I was the very next day, awkwardly standing in front of two grade nine classes, an age group that I'm not familiar with, And I was sharing with them how the very things that they find that are fun, such as smoking, drinking, uh, getting high, sexual activity, were actually very damaging and destructive for me when I was their age. So simply being able to share that truth with them was a blessing in and of themselves. But my story doesn't end there. Because the reason my life changed was when I encountered God. And I was able to honestly and openly share with them how God's activity and presence in my life brought me to where I am today. So God allowed me to share with these wonderful students, and it was well-received. I was asked by some of the other teachers if I'd come back and share with more classes. So I got to share with four other classes, and by the grace of God, there will be many more classes to come. So I encourage you, be prepared to share what God is doing in your life at a moment's notice. Thank you. So uh, keep Jordan in your prayers. Thank you, Jordan, for sharing. Keep him in your prayers. There are others on our team that are are also working in the schools. God is opening doors in an unexpected place. In the case of of Jordan, Burnaby South. Have you planted any seeds lately? I'm sure you've noticed that, uh, you know, the crocuses and daffodils are out and that tulips are are on the way. Uh, Those plants are flowering right now because the bulbs have been in in the ground throughout the the winter season. Right now, the conditions are right. The the soil, the water, the temperature, the sunshine, and so those bulbs, they germinate and grow and flower. It's a beautiful thing to see. Somebody planted the bulbs in faith, probably on a cold day in October. Planting Jesus talks about this planting process, the growing process, the bearing fruit process in today's parable. Uh, Our staff wanted you to also know that if you really enjoy gardening and being outdoors and have a passion for beautiful plants, then on April 4th and 5th, you can come here and beautify the church grounds by planting. So if that's your thing, show up for planting some, some seeds in the soil around Willingdon Church. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. 
uh, page 818, if you grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you. Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying... Begins in verse, the first part of verse 1, that same day. What has been happening that same day? Well, if you read through chapter 12, we need to understand the context of the parable. If you read through chapter 12, Jesus has healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are conspiring against him. Then Jesus expels demons from a man that is mute and blind, And the same religious leaders say that he has done that by the power of the prince of demons, that Satan himself is at work in Jesus. They accuse Jesus of being a sorcerer. Jesus is facing hardness of heart, resistance. So just imagine the questions in the minds of the disciples. Why why do we find the teaching of Jesus so engaging, so life-giving, and the religious leaders of our day just resist him at every turn? What's going on? Why aren't all the people of Israel receiving Jesus with great excitement, their Messiah? In the last verses of chapter 12, Jesus is in a crowded house, probably in Capernaum, and his mother and brothers show up. And Jesus asks a curious question, verse 48, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he stretches out his hand toward his disciples and says this, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That same day, he leaves that crowded house and he goes down to the Sea of Galilee and he sits on the beach. The crowds follow Jesus and they encroach in on him so he gets in a boat. And from the boat, he teaches. He sits and teaches. That was the common position for a teacher or preacher in the ancient world. The teacher would sit and the audience would stand. So why don't you stand for the next 30 minutes while I go sit down? No? Okay. I'll keep on standing. Um, Many believe that this uh, teaching of the parable of the sower, it, it took place in a cove called the Cove of the Parables on the Sea of Galilee. And that cove is a naturally shaped horseshoe. It's a natural amphitheater. The the land slopes down to the sea. And Israeli scientists have tested the acoustics and they believe that Jesus' voice would have carried at least a hundred meters. And so hundreds of people could have stood on the shore and heard Jesus teach. The question for us, of course, is do we want to hear Jesus today? This familiar parable, does Jesus have something new for us today? May we listen well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you taught your first disciples, and we thank you that your word was written down. Thank you that we can read it today. And Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you are present by your spirit. And you promised that you would guide us into all truth by your spirit. So we ask you for that work of grace in our hearts and minds today. May we understand and know how to put it in how to put your word into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The latter part of verse 3. This is Jesus speaking. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. 
and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. In Jesus' ministry, he tells about 30 to 40 parables. About one-third of his recorded words are actually parables. Parables are intriguing because they don't carry their message on the surface. You need to hear well, reflect, digest, gain insight. The same parable will engage one person and push another person away. Why does Jesus use parables? Well, he uses parables to test the crowds. As I said, with a parable, he will teach truth to his disciples, those who truly want to hear the word of God. And with the same parable, he will veil truth to those who already think that they are wise and understanding. Look at verse 10. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. And so as you read through chapter 13, you see that Jesus tells a number of parables. What are they about? They're about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is not about a political kingdom in Israel tied to one ethnic group. It's a kingdom of the heart. It's a kingdom that resides in the hearts of those who receive Jesus as their king. What does the parable of the sower mean? Well, he explains it to his disciples. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Jesus says, here, listen to what the parable means. The hearing that counts receives the word, digests the meaning of the parable, of the message, and then bears fruit in obedience. The sower of the parable here, the sower of the seed, of course, is Jesus. And in the future, it'll be the disciples. What is the most precious seed that Jesus has? This is an important question. What is the most precious seed that Jesus has? Well, it's the word of the kingdom. In other passages in Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom. Luke, when he tells this parable, when he writes it down, he says the word of God. Know that the life-giving power of the kingdom is in the seed, in the word of God. The life-giving power of the kingdom is in in the seed, in the word of God. It's not my idea or your idea, my vision or your vision. It's the word of God. By his word, God created the universe. By his word, God created the the seeding, the planting, the nurturing, the growing, bearing fruit process in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm. 
Now, in the natural realm, in the coming weeks, dandelions are going to show up on just about every lawn in the lower mainland, probably across Canada, to the chagrin of many, without anyone planting those dandelions. Do you have memories of dandelions? Maybe you remember sitting on the lawn and grabbing that dandelion with a puffball and blowing seeds. I have a memory of my mother screaming out, Raymond! When your parents is angry, they always say your complete name. Raymond, don't blow those dandelion seeds all over the lawn. Quit being a dandelion spreader. Is the dandelion native to Canada? No. How did the dandelion get here? That's the big question. Well, it's probably some European, you know, carried it on his boat, brought it here on, on a ship. If you have only one dandelion plant, will it reproduce? Unfortunately, yes, <laughs> it will. Dandelions, they reproduce asexually. There's no need for pollination. Where's the DNA of the plant? Oh, in the seed, in the seed. And those seeds are carried by wind currents. Children come along and blow those seeds. Maybe you still do that as an adult. Don't do that. But maybe you do. And those seeds are carried. And dandelions spread. In fact, they bloom two times a year in spring and in fall. What, is, what causes the kingdom of God to grow? Well, the sowing of the seed. So what we see in the natural realm happens within the spiritual realm as well. The kingdom of God grows through the planting of the seed. And the seed is the word of God. Jesus had the words of eternal life. And so when he spoke the word to his disciples and they received it, their minds were changed, their hearts were transformed. After Jesus' death and resurrection and Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. The life is in the word of the kingdom. Our act of faith is to receive it and then to speak it forth. It's an act of faith. You see, a person of the kingdom has a conviction around the living power of the word of God. Billy Graham, when he started to evangelize, many people around him were questioning the authority of the word of God. Can you actually trust the word of God? Theologians were questioning the, the authority of the word of God. And in a moment before God he decided to accept the authority of God's word by faith. And so as he evangelized, he would very intentionally just quote scripture, <laughs> speak forth the word of God. And he saw people coming to faith in ever-increasing numbers. A person of the kingdom has a conviction around the life-giving power of the word of God. Sowing is an act of trusting God and trusting his word. Do we truly believe that the seed of the kingdom is the word of God? Such a simple point, but so often missed. You see, the seed of the gospel of the kingdom, it's always good. It's always good, always capable of producing a plant that will bear much fruit. But what changes is the condition of the soil. The four soils in the parable, they represent different heart conditions, different responses to the word of God. So know that the condition of your heart determines the impact of the word. The condition of your heart determines the impact of the word. And it may be 
one of four kinds. Those that were listening to Jesus speak out this parable of the sower, those standing on the beach, if they had looked around them, they would have seen the four soils. And they naturally would have asked themselves the question, which soil is represented by my, or which soil represents my heart? As the sower scatters seed, some fall on hard, beaten paths. There were paths around the unfenced fields, paths too hard to receive the word of God, and the birds would come and devour those seeds. When someone hears the word of God in his heart, in the place of decision, and doesn't allow the truth to penetrate the walls of his or her heart, like the religious leaders that were resisting Jesus, that suffered from spiritual blindness, Satan, the evil one, comes, snatches the word away, and they never believe. Non-starter faith. That's the first soil. Hard paths, non-starter faith. We might ask, well, why does Jesus so, so generously in all four soils? Why, why doesn't he just choose the good soil? It seems to be a principle of the kingdom. It's interesting that in the natural realm, plants will produce so many seeds. A dandelion plant, that just one puffball, 172 seeds. A dandelion plant can produce 2,000 I'm always amazed by poplar trees and the seeds just flowing off of them. An abundance of seeds. You see this in the spiritual realm as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God has more than enough seeds. The problem is never with God's storehouse. Jesus sows the seed of the kingdom everywhere. He didn't only speak to good soil. And I think one thing that we need to remember is that sometimes what is initially hard soil, like the Apostle Paul, later becomes the best of soil. We'll come back to this point in a minute. So some seed falls on hard paths. Some of it falls on rocky ground. In Israel, the terrain is often uh, rocky, it's uneven, and the soil is thin. As the rainy season ends at the end of spring, that soil, it heats up. And so where the soil is thin, of course, it heats up very quickly. Those seeds, they sprout early, and they promise to be a great crop. But because of the heat and the lack of soil, the plants dry up and they wither before they can grow. Why? Because there's little depth of soil. The roots can't go down through the limestone bedrock, bedrock and draw on the water. What does that symbolize? Well, rocky ground, it symbolizes a person who receives the word initially with great enthusiasm. Oh, it's all so wonderful. But as soon as there's a bit of external pressure, there's a bit of suffering or persecution, some trouble, some disappointment, the person quickly falls away and is on to the next thing. When there's a time of revival, you see many temporary disciples. They're so enamored with the worship and the preaching and the miracles. It's all so great. But as soon as there's a bit of pressure, they fall away. There's no inner conviction. This is short-lived faith. Short-lived faith. So there's the hard path and there's rocky ground. And then there is seed that falls among the thorns. And when the seed falls among the thorns, the problem isn't with the amount of soil. The problem is that there is competition in the soil. 
So the thorns, they compete with the good seeds for the nutrients in the soil and for the sunshine. And the good seeds are choked out. They never reach maturity and bear fruit. This represents a person who's attracted to Jesus, attracted to the promises of the kingdom, but unwilling to submit fully to the kingship of Jesus. His or her heart is cluttered by the cares of the world. And the cares, of course, are our anxieties, our worries, our doubts, our fears. This person doesn't allow the word to actually enter and take root and transform one's beliefs, one's thinking, one's values, one's emotional life. Sometimes this person considers Jesus to be good. Yeah, Jesus is good. But there are other things much more interesting. The earthly riches of this world are much better. Wealth, after all, it promises so much. The status and power and security in our day and pleasure and vacations, life. What saps spiritual life is unbelief and idolatry. Unbelief and idolatry snuff out spiritual life. The thorny ground represents suffocated faith. Suffocated faith. This heart needs some spring cleaning, right? Some spring cleaning. And then the sower scatters seeds, not only on the hard path and the rocky ground and among thorns, but also on good soil. And this is good news. And that soil produces a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12. A hundredfold, it represents God's blessing. In fact, throughout Scripture, where there's multiplication, it's a sign of God's favor. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, we read, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So good soil, it's, it's soft toward Jesus. It receives the word. A life fully surrendered. This person embraces the will of the Father. This person is truly a member of Jesus' family. That's why Jesus says, those who do the will of my Father are my mother and brother and sister. In the life of this person, there's an abundant harvest. This is saving faith. Sometimes people ask the question, well, okay, those soils two and three, could it be that they are saved? Wrong question. (laughs) Wrong question. The point of the parable is you want to be soil number four. Soils two and three are never okay. There are no good words from Jesus for soils two and three. You want to be soil number four. Don't even contemplate being one of the other soils. Jesus says repeatedly, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Matthew chapter seven, verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And then Matthew 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. What does Jesus mean by fruit? Well, he's talking about the inner transformation that happens in the life of a person that has received the word and then by the wisdom granted by the Holy Spirit has understood the word and is obedient to it, lives it out, practices it. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, the outward evidence of inner life. Words and deeds inspired by, generated by Jesus. 
If there's no good fruit, don't assume that there's life. Only the fourth soil is called good. And we really, we really want to be the fourth soil. Why? Because that's where all of the joy and contentment is. It's when you receive the word of God, which is true, you receive that word, allow it to take root in your life, allow it to transform what you believe about God, about yourself, about life, really renew your thinking. When it renews your thinking and you allow it to form the way that you live, that's where the joy is because you're walking full of the Holy Spirit. That's where the contentment is. And of course, if you are the fourth soil, this is where the hope is, of course. You sow the word of God generously with faith, trusting God to work, trusting the power of his word. You know that not everyone's going to receive the word of God with enthusiasm. You know that before you even start sowing. There will be a mixed response, but there will be good soil. And those that receive the word in their lives, there will be an abundant harvest. The kingdom in them will be like a mustard seed, that little seed growing into a huge plant. It'll be like leaven in their lives, touching every part of their lives. The harvest will be rich. So know that patient obedience to the word produces an impact beyond your imagination. Know that patient obedience to the word produces an impact beyond your imagination. Earlier this year, I told uh, the story of Eddie and Winnie Yan. Uh, Winnie, of course, was suffering from cancer, and uh, in February, she went in for surgery. Her stomach, intestine, bowel, perforated by, by cancer. Delicate surgery. Um, during surgery, a pastor friend of Winnie um, messaged uh, Eddie and told him that he had what he believed were three words from God for him. Eddie didn't know him. The first message was that God had put Winnie beside Eddie in order to inspire, teach, and guide him to Jesus. And Eddie believed that to be true. He understood because it was through Winnie's journey with cancer that Eddie came to faith. He had been religious for much of his life. He had attended church, but he had never fully surrendered to Jesus, never invited Jesus to be king of his life. And he understood that God had used Winnie to lead him to true life. The second message was that Winnie's dad would come and pray before her. And they, they found that message to be rather curious. But after surgery, Winnie's father flew back to Vancouver and entered her room. And Winnie heard her father pray over her. Now, Winnie's father came to faith just a number of months ago out of a Buddhist background came to faith as Winnie testified to the truth of knowing Jesus, that life was in Jesus. The third message was that Winnie was to encourage others and bring them closer to Christ. The surgery was delicate. Doctors didn't know whether it would be successful or not. She came out of surgery saying to her husband, Eddie, hun, I am so full of peace and joy. And Eddie thought that she did not know the result of her surgery, but she did. She knew that she was in her last days. The day after her surgery, 
you know, word got around that she was in her last days, and so 75 people showed up in her room there at Vancouver General. At the end of the day, at midnight, her brother came. He had not visited Winnie over the last four years, and he confessed his anger to God. He blamed God for his misfortune. He'd fallen into depression. And Eddie and Winnie just simply shared their journey with God. Seeing the joy and peace in Eddie and Winnie, he was drawn to Jesus. He came back to faith. The next day, 80 people came to visit Winnie and Eddie. And those that were Christians, they were strengthened, they were encouraged. I remember going to visit Winnie there at Vancouver General and just, I was so encouraged by the peace in her eyes, her smile, her demeanor, her words of faith. I went home encouraged and many others as well. And those that were not followers of Jesus, they were encouraged to consider Jesus very seriously. Some promised to come to church. The medical team would stop by wanting to hear of Winnie's journey. In fact, they called Winnie's room the happy room. Imagine that. She's facing death. She's in her last days. And those that are on the medical team say, oh, this is the happy room. This is where the joy of the Lord is, resides here in this room. Winnie didn't complain. She didn't say, why me? Eddie says that the question she would often ask was, did we miss sharing with anyone else? Yesterday was her memorial service. And through the the videos and through the audio message, she continued to share the seed of the kingdom, the word of God. Good soil. (laughs) The fourth soil. Don't you want to be Winnie? I want to be Winnie. I want to be good soil. Sharing the word of God to my last day, last hour, last minute. The primary application of the parable is that there's four soils out there. We can be any one of those soils. The disciples of Jesus need to know that when they share the seed of the kingdom, the word of God, there'll be a mixed response. There's four soils out there. The secondary application is that you and I, in any, in any moment, we can be one of the four soils. There are times when we elevate our own thoughts, our own ideas above the Word of God, and we become hard toward the Word of God. We actually don't want to hear it because it challenges us, and our hearts become progressively hardened, and we fall into increasing levels of self-deception. That happens. Sometimes the hardness in our hearts is due to ongoing sin. We're tied to some juicy gossip, or we just don't want to forgive someone, or we're involved in sexual immorality, or there's bigotry in our hearts, there's pride. The list goes on. And when we're in the hard spot, the hard place, we need to pray, we need the prayer of others, we need the grace to repent. We need to repent. The hardness may be emotional. You know, somebody walked over us. Somebody took advantage of us. Somebody criticized us. Somebody disrespected us. And we just can't forgive. And when we're in that spot, our soul needs care. It needs to be tenderly plowed. We need love. We need healing. Just a crack. Here's the good news. 
If our hearts are hard, just a crack, just a crack in the pavement, and there can be new life. We need to invite the Lord to plow our hearts, to open those cracks. Sometimes our hearts can be enthusiastic, but they're really shallow. We come, you know, here on the weekend, and we love the worship. The worship is great, and sometimes we even enjoy the message. That's a rare Sunday. We're enamored by what we hear. But then we don't actually allow the word to sink deeply into our hearts. We don't patiently obey the word. We don't invite others to help us understand the word. We don't practice the discipline of actually sitting in the presence of God and meditating on the word and allowing it to actually change the way that we believe, the way that we think, what we value, change our emotional life. Sometimes our hearts are so cluttered by so much stuff. You know, we've got all these anxieties and worries and doubts and fears residing here. And our hearts are so cluttered, we just can't hear the word. Sometimes our hearts are cluttered with all kinds of messages. There's social media and the internet and emails and texts. And we're involved in gaming and we love sports. I love sports. But sometimes we're too committed to it, too passionate about it, too committed to entertainment. There's just too much going on in our hearts. We just can't hear the word of God. Sometimes our hearts are lured by money. And Jesus, when he talks about the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches, he's talking about the false lure of money. Money promises much, but it can't deliver. It's interesting, you know, as... Poor people are interviewed and wealthy people are interviewed. How much more money will make you satisfied? Everyone always says 10%. No matter how much money they have. They always need another 10%. That's because money never satisfies. It can't. And sometimes when our hearts are so cluttered, the only solution is a traumatic experience. You need to go through an accident or a traumatic illness. Somehow God needs to shake you up. But it doesn't have to be that way. Our hearts can be good soil. We can simply surrender to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to be good soil. I want to receive your word. Work in my heart by your Holy Spirit. It's like the song we sing now. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I now surrender, you are breaking new wine. Because where there's new wine, there's new power. There's new freedom. The kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. Oh, may that be our song. Allow the life-giving word to penetrate deeply the soil of your heart. Allow the life-giving word of God to penetrate deeply the soil of your heart, to break new ground. If you receive the word of God the way the fourth soil does, receive it. Allow it to penetrate deeply into your soul. It will change your life. As you practice the word with patience, there will be an abundant harvest. Why? Because you're such a great vessel? No. (laughs) Because the life-giving power is in the seed and you've received it and you're speaking forth that seed and you can expect a great harvest. Happy seeding. Amen? Let's stand for prayer.
So, Jesus, uh, we come before you, and we thank you again for your word. And, uh, Lord, we thank you that you've drawn us to yourself. We thank you that you've spoken to us through your word, by your spirit. We thank you. We confess that sometimes, Lord, our hearts are hard. And so we ask that you create those cracks in our hearts so that we might hear your word and receive it. Sometimes we're committed to, to sin. Forgive us, Jesus. Open our hearts and minds to understand that where we're going, the people we're going to for, for life, they actually can't give us life. Forgive us, Jesus. May we come to you the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, sometimes we're in pain, and people have wronged us. But may we not stay in that place of unforgiveness, of bitterness. Oh, Lord, may we come to you for love, for healing. Thank you that you are more than able to do that restorative work in our hearts by your Spirit. Lord, sometimes our hearts are really cluttered. There's just a lot going on. Forgive us for not taking time to hear you. May we carve out those moments to sit with you, to commune with you, to hear your word, to meditate on your word, and allow it to do its life-transforming work. Thank you, Lord, that the invitation is there for us to be good soil. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Oh, God, may we receive your word today. Receive it, recognize that the power of your spirit is there present in your word and allow you, Lord, to do your work in us. Your will for us is good and acceptable and perfect. You know who you created us to be. So may we embrace, Lord, your will for our individual lives, for our families, for this church. And may we spread your word this week, trusting you to work in and through us, trusting you to work in the lives of those around us for your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom. So I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. May you bless them and keep them. May you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May you lift up your countenance on them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.